Hello and welcome to another NL full-time podcast. I'm Rob Worrell. Um, it's been a sizzling weekend and we might have wondered how the players would cope with the heat. But clearly it's the officials we should have been concerned about. We've had two of the most bizarre red cards in the National League ever. One for a player, one for a manager. We'll get to them in due course. And we've had a game abandoned in the National League North in the 94th minute. For a waterlogged pitch uh, on one of the hottest days of the year. Absolutely bonkers. We're going to record the podcast in two halves today. Later on, I'll be joined by regulars Dickie Wharton and Tom Lang to review the National League North and the South. But uh, first up, I'm delighted to be joined by TNT Sports presenter Jeff Brazier for what must be, I don't know, the fifth or the sixth year running, Jeff, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. We've got a wonderful relationship and um, <laughs> you are you are such a, a source of, of information for any broadcaster working on the league. And um, boys, as always, you, you do a fantastic job. So it's only right that every now and again I would check in and see how everyone is. Oh, great stuff. And we appreciate the shout out, by the way, on your on your one the other week with Macca that you do your little uh, your little roundup on a Monday or a Tuesday and and you were chatting to Jamal Fifield, who's coming on this pod soon, and and saying that you know you probably get your info from the end from the full time podcast. I was like, go on, Jeff, get in there. <laughs> no, listen, absolutely. I think you know some people might look in and, and feel like there's some an element of competition, but um, the National League, unlike any other league, isn't obviously covered as broadly um, as, as, as most. So I know that there's people that live and breathe the National League. We as broadcasters at TNT absolutely do, whether it's me, Adam Virgo, Adam Summerton, uh, Maka, Dowie, you know, any of us that work on it. Um, so wherever we can get our information, uh, as many places, the better, basically. So, yeah, of course, we would mention and cross-promote and, um, and let everybody know what you're doing. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, thoroughly enjoying the uh, Beyond the 92 podcast that Jamal Fifield and Femi Ilasami are doing. And they'll be with us in a, a couple of weeks on NL Full Time to talk a little bit more about it. Now, Jeff, you were at Hayes Lane on Saturday to see how much improved Bromley fared against Alan Devonshire's Maidenhead United, uh, the team that everybody likes to write off and that survives year in, year out. Um, what was your take? really, on reflection on Saturday's game, which obviously Bromley did win by four goals to one. Yeah, we're looking at it like it was a nailed on nil-nil. And, and it's terrible when you turn to work, turn up to work on a, on a hot day like that as well, just feeling like there's going to, there's zero chance of any goals here. And obviously it was, it was really welcome, a welcome surprise that we would get the complete opposite. Um, it's funny how the conditions... Um, I'd never really considered it before. I'm sure that I've watched many um, games of football on hot days like that. Um, the AstroTurf, for whatever reason, makes it feel hotter uh, because, you know, as the players were telling me, it, it really heats the surface. Um, it affects the bounce of the ball and so on and so forth. But what 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 I think was interesting was that it, it probably gets hotter for the team that have gone one or two goals down and that are chasing the game. Now, all of a sudden, that heat sort of just intensifies slightly for them and, and for Bromley, you know, it's 2-0 up. Um, they'd be able to just take their... Well, it's, it's never taking your foot off the pedal, um, but they would be able to maybe look more possession-based. Whereas there was this really interesting um, stat that um, one of the guys at TNT had sort of offered up in that <clears throat> these two sides were in the bottom three for possession at, at the start of this season. 
uh, both sides happy to have their opponents um, have the ball and obviously hit them on the counter. It was more obvious how Bromley would be able to achieve that. Um, obviously, with the likes of Cheek up front, Louis Dennis, um, you know, and Corey Whiteley, we know that there's there's a lot of pace um, around Cheek there. Um, but less less so with Maidenhead, who, who seems to be without the the out and out striker that that you feel is going to get you 15, 20 goals this season. That said, I, I kind of looked at Maidenhead beforehand and thought, you know, with the fact that they haven't conceded in four games, you know, if they up their budget this season, that that was my that was my curi- curiosity really. Um, and I don't think they have the difference. Just seems to be that they're incredibly well organised. Um, Ryan Peters, you know, we always focus on Dev and, and don't get me wrong, he absolutely deserves all of it. But Ryan Peters is an assistant. Sometimes I think assistants and the work that they do probably goes um, unsung slightly. When um, when you sort of observe and sit between the, the dugouts, you can see that Ryan Peters is the one that's the communicating um, mainly with the players. And, and obviously between managers and assistant managers, they will work out between them um, how the manager wants them to uh, to um, to support the players throughout the game. Actually, sort of in the, in the game, but it's funny for anyone that weren't there. Maidenhead, um, you know, coming into it looking like they was going to be a really difficult side. It wasn't just current form; it was also uh, the fact that Bromley hadn't beaten Maidenhead within the last six attempts. Um, you know, at Hayes Lane, Maidenhead usually come and get something or or at least a draw. So. All signs suggested this was a game that Maidenhead could come into full of confidence. Um, and then uh, against the run of play after 20 or so, you've got Michael Cheek just, um, you know, taking taking the opportunity to, to, I mean, the first one was right footed. If you haven't seen them, the, the next one was left, both from similar distance, probably about 17, 18 yards. Um, you know, un, unstoppable strikes, really. And uh, he doubled his his. T- Ali for the season because you know Bromley hadn't really been scoring many goals even though they've picked up um, I think it's three wins in a row now um, and six unbeaten they weren't really setting the world alight whereas you see other teams who have got goals coming from from all areas and you think how Bromley would probably really quite like to introduce that into their team but if Michael Cheek scoring <clears throat> and getting that all important brace that set them on their way and that's when you saw that the Maidenhead didn't have a reaction um, you know they seemed to quietly accept um you know the fact that it, the conditions were what they were uh, the game had gone a, a, against them it was slowly sort of i guess ebbing towards half time and then you know that was compounded or consolidated with um with the Callum Reynolds finish which we all wondered you know is that offside it was a wonderful um wonderful shaped um volley from um Byron Webster um and he he found himself Callum in the in the right place at the right time um, Andy Woodman at the end of the game had told us that he'd actually been challenging his centre-halves, his defenders to, to get in uh, to the area more or, or, or at least chip in with, with more goals. So he obviously answered to his manager's request um, there. And then you think at half-time, the game's done. Um, it was interesting that, that obviously they came out and 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 got the... Um, well, they, they got another one through Louis Dennis. Yeah. So just straight after half-time, 4-0 up, done and dust. We look at the game sometimes, we think everything uh, is is around the ball and what we do and how, how we use it. Whereas whereas actually, it's sometimes it's your reaction to, to a deficit, to a challenge, to a hot day, to things going wrong, to fans being on your back. Uh, and they didn't have the answer on this occasion. And that will sting. Um, but no doubt, it's you know, it's 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 things like that, experiences like that, that will help them to 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 build 
um, build on for the rest of their season. But Bromley do look back. They look like the side that we expected them to be. Um, Andy Woodman in, in sort of good spirits. You can see that um, we spoke about belief and confidence in the camp because of the uh, the recent results that they've been able to put together. They've added to their squad. They've got the two lads that have just come in from, from Arsenal. They didn't feature on a day. He wasn't desperate for them. He didn't drop them straight in, especially with the team performing how they are. But I mean, how great that the players that have currently, um, you know, amassed those points and are obviously occupying the shirts at the moment, know that there are people that are literally knocking on the uh, on, on the on the manager's door wanting to know why they're not in the side and being given an opportunity. So um so at Bromley at the moment, all things look good on and off the pitch. Yeah, Andy Woodman's pulled that round pretty quickly there. They lost a lot of key players, didn't they, last year? Um and uh, it's very, very difficult on any on any day when you concede the first goal, but in those conditions, as you say, Maidenhead weren't able to uh, to respond. Uh, great to see Cheeky back in good form. That's four for the season. I did reach out to him to come on the podcast, which he said he will do at some point, but I think we might be a little bit too late for him today. But great to see you doing what you do, Michael. Um, as ever, I think for about the eighth season running, he's just literally been the you know, the top scorer. Um, I mean, it's been at three different clubs, really, hasn't it? But wherever he is, the goals don't fail to materialise across the season, do they? No, they don't. I just like Bromley as an as an attacking threat. Um, they've obviously got their, their their rhythm and their flow, but some of the goals when you look at how they were set up, they were isolating centre halves. They were getting little flick ons that created the space for for Cheeky to get his uh, his shots in. And um, and yeah, now there's a few other people chipping in as well, uh, and they're scoring four goals in a game that can only inspire them to to, to maybe go on and. And, and do more but you know Andy Woodman always wants to build on clean sheets um, it looks like that's what Maidenhead and Bromley had in common on the day and that's why obviously he was so confident it was going to be a nil-nil um, but yeah now they're, they're managing to find the back of the net um, I, I, that'll stand them in good stead you know, I've, I feel like they've also got a pretty difficult next run of fixtures as well um, not able to reel off who they are but I remember looking at it in a stats pack and just feeling like you know, another win today, and that'll really set you up for some some big games. That that again, if you if you're nicking points off of the the teams that are above you and around you, um, then I think we'll see whether Bromley are the sort of side that are not just going to achieve playoffs, which I think we'd all expect them to. Um, but actually, can can they go one better? And actually, of course they can. This season in particular, we've spoke about it. I know you've spoken about it. It's open. The door is open to someone who would otherwise not necessarily be fancied. If you can be consistent, if you can be solid, if, if you can sort of exude togetherness as a, as a group, which I think um, a lot of teams seem to, to have a lot of, uh, something that sometimes, you know, when, when you see certain, say like Wrexham last year, you've got Mullin who's banging the goals and the focus quite rightly goes to him or a, or a Langstaff. Um, but this year, I feel like we've got a few teams that seem, seem really solid in that there's not necessarily the outstanding individual that carries the side. Um, but there's teams that are balanced and, and that are all singing off the same hymn sheet. Um, and, and as a result, like they're, they're, they're teams that are, I think, achieving consistency. Um, you look at how many teams in the league at the moment who have got a two point average. And it's, you know, there's, un, there's only three of them, the top three, Barnet, Chesterfield and, and I think potentially Solihull. Um, and that's going to be where it's at when it's so open and everybody can beat everyone. Can you beat a team that, that's consistent? Um, that that will make the difference, and I'm sure Bromley will be able to do that. I tell you what, Jeff's good listeners, but he's really good when he 
answers one of your subsequent questions before you've even asked it, which was going to be, Jeff, is it is it one of the most open seasons ever with Notts County and Wrexham gone? So you covered that nicely. And, and, and you've touched on the top of the league as well, where Barnet and Chesterfield both have 19 points. Chesterfield left it late again. They trailed 1-0 to Dagenham, but uh, got themselves level, got themselves a late winner. The fourth time this season they've come from behind to win. Um it's a bit of a roller coaster ride for them at the moment. I don't, I don't know if they can keep doing this all season and do it that way. But um, if they do, then it'd be a fantastic achievement and really enjoyable for the fans as well. Questions to you, really, on uh, on Chesterfield and Barnet. Jeff Barnet beat Altrincham, a very well respected side, going very well. Only lost their unbeaten record last week uh, by three goals to nil. So, Jeff, is this Chesterfield's title to lose? And are Barnet the real deal when it comes to the title race? It would seem as though it would seem as though Barnet uh, are absolutely um, there to stay. Um, I think it'd be really easy for us to just because after eight games, a team is at the top and they've they've you know got as many points as they've got that, that that's how it's going to stay. Um, lots can change. Barnet aren't necessarily a side that are, are used to being up there within the last few seasons. Um, so you wonder whether players within the side have necessarily got the, the relevant experience to cope when the, the pressure really turns up. Uh, that's not me questioning them, but it's a question naturally that will be answered. Uh, Chesterfield, everybody keeps saying that there's no way that they can maintain what they're doing if they're conceding as many as they are. But I, I hope they do continue it because it's absolutely fantastic to watch. It's so exhilarating when you're, you know, you're, you're at the 3 p.m. game. We're covering more 3 p.m.s now, and it's really interesting because the score lines obviously come through as we're on air. Um, and I love uh, the, the way that we're sort of disclosing what's going on around the grounds sort of whilst we're also um, watching that one game in particular. But um, I hope that Chesterfield keep conceding and scoring bucket loads. It, it reminds me of the way that Aussie Ardilis liked to manage Tottenham back in the day. Um, and it does make for some really interesting games. And obviously, at a point, you feel like, well, uh, you know, Revolution and, and what's going on at Dagnum, are they going to beat Chesterfield on their own turf? And obviously, they, they, they turned it around. It seems to be, we spoke about resilience earlier in regards to Maidenhead. Um, I, I think the Chesterfield clearly do not stop until that whistle goes. Um, and that, that has been, uh, I think that's been the case on a number of occasions now. So, um, yeah, look, they'll both be there and thereabouts, but it's nobody's title to lose. There are lots of teams that will be muscling in. Lots of teams will be taking points off of Barnet and Chesterfield. They're not so strong uh, amongst the rest of the chasing pack that they're going to, you know, go clear like a Notts County and Wrexham season. That that will not be what we see. And it will be, be tight throughout and we'll constantly, and I love the line when, you know, I look, I look at the reports on a National League website or anything, and it's like there's new, there's a new team at the top of the league, you know, and it's, uh, I, I love to, I love that that's shared around. And, and obviously, it's completely irrelevant at this point. It's nice for bragging rights and it's nice for fans to feel like their team's season is very much on track. Um, but I really expect that the, um, you know, the, the uh, whoever's top at, at the summit is going to change around quite a lot for us this year. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, let's look at perhaps the performance of the day now, and it's it's got to be really a 50-50 between two clubs. That of Gates, no. who won yeah. 6-0 at Eastleigh with uh, five different scorers. Um, and Oxford City, who've really hit their straps in the last three weeks, scoring 12 goals in three games. And no mean opposition that they beat in Hartlepool yesterday by five goals to two. Um, I'd have to probably edge it just for Oxford City on the back of, you know, two high scoring games 
Um, and then obviously coming from behind to beat Hartlepool as well. Um, isn't it great to see a side come up like Oxford City and play a real true brand of football and not be frightened to do so, Jeff? Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of shouted that out actually as um, one of the sides that I was particularly excited about watching. And then I, I feel like they melted me off a little bit by getting some really bad um, results at the start of the season. Um, and, you know, I, I looked in for, well, maybe that is too much of a leap, but. I'd watched them in their promotion final. I'd watched um, them take St Albans to, to, to you know, to pieces. And I, I, I also obviously met the the manager and saw how effortlessly he spoke about the fact that that was his expectation on the day. Um, and you could see that he has at utmost belief in his side and also his own ability to um, to to come up into the the fifth tier and be able to hold their own. There's always goals around Oxford. Um, you know, you saw what they did to Boreham Wood, who obviously had a, a bit of an indifferent start. Um, and yeah, they're gonna they're gonna keep us guessing. Like, I'm glad that I stopped doing the predictions for the National League because they would be harder this year than they've ever ever been. I think they've always been impossible anyway. But now it's a you know it's a, don't even try predicting a game. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, everybody will make absolute fools of us. But there's a lot of love for Mike Williamson. I felt for him in the trophy final, all of those injuries. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a real expectation around Gates said that they're going to pop teams off the park. Um, and yeah, five different scorers. That must be so wonderful for a manager uh, to know that you don't necessarily have to be reliant on a, on a, I say his name wrong, win or Wern. Um, yeah. and, and that everybody's chipping in because when you play great football and it's possession based and you don't panic when you get into the final third, it does give lots of players the opportunity to arrive at, you know, at near post, far post, penalty spots to, to be able to, to finish moves off. And um, how wonderful, what an advert for the National League that you've got teams playing football like that, getting a degree of success that they look like they're going to enjoy this year. Literally, almost every one of those goals, um, watched them this morning, on the TNT Sports highlights, and it's literally they've just they've just gone straight at the defence, just passed it one or two passes in and out, bang, and the finish made it look so so simple. Um, it would be interesting to uh, take a look at Gateshead up close and personal at the EBB next Saturday. Um, pushing on through some of the other games, a little bit of a mid kind of division roundup from me here with a few talking points. Halifax won, Southend won. So, Southend already into plus points. Looked like they were headed for all three on Saturday because they were 1-0 up. Halifax were reduced to 10 men before they actually got an equaliser. And that is one of those two most bizarre sendings off. I can only think that the referee, when he's calmed down, when he watches it back, he'll say, no, 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 forget it. Because what's happened is the ball's gone out on the left-hand side. Um, the referee's watching the, the, where the ball is. Luke Summerfield's just running across near to the referee's path, to be fair. And as Summerfield goes past him, the referee lifts his left arm up for some sort of signal and gets intertwined uh, with uh, Summerfield's arm. And it just the, the little reaction from Summerfield, he, he probably doesn't realise it's a player, ref or whatever, and he just pokes his arm back the other way. Referee doesn't like it at all and turns around and and shows a yellow. Um, common sense needs to prevail there. I don't know if you've uh, seen the incident, have you, Jeff? 
Yeah, it, it's it's odd. I mean, it's, it's odd actually how we can subjectively watch it and see something different. And uh, not that I think that it was a sending off or a booking or anything, um, but I, I saw Summerfield's arm um, uh, raise um, only actually to in anticipation of moving the referee's hand out of his path, out of his face level, being level with his face. Um, I don't know whether the referee felt that he was struck. Or, or, or whether there was like a, a sort of aggressive movement towards him, but I just saw it as as Summerfield removing the ref's hand uh, or or arm just out of the way. Again, I don't mm. see it as a as a yellow card or a, or a sending off. But he had time to think about what you wonder actually is um, because yesterday, let me bring the the Bromley Maynard game back into it without speaking out of turn about the officials, which I'd never do. But some, you know, I guess privy to a lot that goes on sitting next to them. Um, but the, the fourth was very, um, was, was very sort of um, communicative, let's say, to the referee, whereas that's not always the case. I think that whether it's the combination of the officials, whether it's, you know, the, the, the sort of the way that the, the, the referee sort of tells his, um, his, his com- uh, colleagues that he wants to be supported. Uh, but you wonder whether actually that was more about somebody else saying he's gone to hit you or he's raised his arm. And if in the language he's raised his arm, you know, if, if they've been directed that if someone raises their arm in anger, um, especially to a, to an official, that that's just a straight red. I think that would have been the wrong direction given to him. Um, and yeah, he might he might look at that and just be like, wow, okay, I should have used a little bit of common there. Um, but you're right, odd is where we'll probably leave that one. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the moment, I understand if if he felt he was struck. But it's, uh, it's upon review that he might rescind that red card. And the other bizarre red card, well, I'm not going to describe it to you. I'm not going to tell you about it. I don't need to. Because here, after Oldham's nil-nil draw with Dorking, is Mark White's version. Yeah, so, I mean, basically, my keeper put it out of play three times or, or more. I think that might have been the fourth time. He'd had an untypically um, bad start with his kick in Harrison. Um, been in great form. And um, yeah, so it, it was landing flush on my right foot. So I just went to volley it straight back to him and a few expletives come out of my mouth, a little bit of passion. Wasn't aware it's a red card, um, officially apparently for delaying the restart of a, of a match, but obviously the laws change so much these days, it's, it's not easy to keep up with that. Obviously I gave the referee an opportunity to um, <laughs> to, to deal with me within the confines of the law. Um, we had a laugh about it afterwards, actually, with the referee, um, to be fair. Obviously, I think common sense prevails. It's a yellow card. Um, I think, um, you know, that that's what common sense prevails with that one. Um, kind of got overshadowed by the fact that we had a goal that was a good yard or more over the line um, disallowed. So... Um, and arguably a straight red card as well that we thought um, uh, Oldham should have had uh, with, with with Green flying into a challenge on Josh Taylor. But uh, we had a great experience, um, great friends of ours at Oldham. And um, yeah, I won't be uh, kicking the ball away again in a hurry. Um, now that I know it's a straight red, that's for sure. Now that was Mark White, who very kindly gave us his version. Good sense of humour amongst uh, about him, as always. Uh, perhaps a little bit of a shame that the uh, that the referee in charge didn't share that uh, sense of humour. So we we'll wait and see if that one is uh, reduced to a yellow or not. 
Uh, Kidderminster and Rochdale drew one all. Um, there was a first for Kidderminster at home uh, yesterday, and that was their first goal. But it was, like the previous three games, another draw. Uh, Rochdale just going nicely under the radar, just a place or two outside of the playoffs. Woking and Solihull, they drew one all. It could have been a different story. Hammond um, had a penalty saved by Ethan Ross. The irony being uh, it would have got woke, it would have got to Woking level after Solihull had led. And in the end, they did get level through Amand from the penalty spot, but it was in open play and it was a half volley that beat Ross. That one ended one all, um, Jeff. And I was going to come to you. You mentioned earlier on in the pod that there were a couple of teams who aren't necessarily packed with superstars, but are very efficient at getting the job done. I'll give you Woking and Solihull Moors. Yeah, um, I watched Solihull beat Borehamwood. Um... 2-0 and I remember feeling like right everything goes through uh, Beck and um, they've got some incredibly proficient players um, so it's, it's not like there's no superstars in their average um, it's just that their, their average is all very good um, there's a lot of balance a lot of cohesion Andy Wing didn't really say a great deal from the dugout because I, I always take that as as trust uh, in his players and I always take that as he feels confident in the fact that he is um, I, I guess, communicated all the detail that he wants his team to know ahead of that particular fixture or that it's all playing out exactly how he wanted it. Um, so without knowing uh, too much about Wing or his background, um, you, you can only stand back really and admire the fact that he's come into that club with with quite a turnover of players and losing some key players and he's absolutely hit the ground running. So I think that Solio are back um, competing probably sooner than they than they imagine they 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 might be. Woking, I've not had the pleasure of seeing this season so far. We, you know, you're always expecting them to build on how well they finished last season, reaching the playoffs, um, not being able to really go much further than the uh, than obviously the um, the eliminator game. Um, but yeah, again, like we are literally, we could have this conversation about whether you're talking about a Bromley, a Woking, a Solly, or there's, there, you know, there's lots of sides that we're saying we're expecting to be up. There's not room for everybody. Um, so, you know, I'm really pleased that they're they're hitting their stride and, and making it really interesting for us. Yeah, York City took on Boreham Wood. That was another interesting one. Neil Ardley's first game in charge of a York City side. You know, they've got a very big squad, a well-assembled squad. And uh, I don't doubt for a minute that Neil Ardley can do a really, really good job there. Um, if he's allowed to, by the chairman. Um, Boreham Wood, uh, another away draw for them. A double for Lee Undlove. Some really, really tidy finishing from him, particularly the second goal. Um, and a lovely one-two right at the end of it with uh, Tyrone Marsh. Um it's not really gone Wood's way so far this year. Um, when they go on a lot of runs unbeaten, often there's too many draws in them, but you never underestimate a point away from home. What about the job Neil Ardley's got to do, Jeff? Um, he comes in with an expensively assembled squad already there, um, but he knows what he's doing, doesn't he? It does, yeah. No, it, it, that's that's exactly right up his trouser, really. When you, you consider what we know of him so far in terms of his experience at Notts County and Solil, is working with quality. Um, and I guess it's ideal, isn't it, to come into a, a really good squad that's underperforming as opposed to a, a really sort of uh, average squad that 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 are performing to the best of their ability. So I've no doubt that he'll 
it'll turn that round and um, that you'll call um, start climbing. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting because pre-season, you're looking at all the signings that they're making and the names they're bringing in and you're thinking, wow, that's, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a good season. And it just hasn't happened um, for them and the previous manager. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're so early on in the season that it really won't take long um, for them to for them to get where I, I guess the fans were expecting them to be. And then Boreham Wood. I mean, we spoke to Jamal Firefield um, last week, and um, that was following the the Oxford um, City uh, defeat, you know, heavy defeat as well. And they, he, he was saying that they were embarrassed and they've they've got to react and uh, whatever it is, they haven't quite found um, found found their feet. And um, you know, Luke Garrard's obviously like is almost a, an unsackable manager for what he's achieved with with Boreham. There is obviously, I think, the expectation grows year year on year out. I can only imagine that he'll be incredibly frustrated with with their run at present, just because I, I feel that each year he'd he'd he'd, he'd want to be closer, he'd want to edge closer and closer to being able to actually, um, you know, beat a, a Chesterfield or wherever we feel we're going to be sort of there and thereabouts at the end. Um, but yeah, it's it's still really early on. I'm sure that they're not far off it, um, and the, it, a few minor adjustments, and um, and they'll they'll start operating slightly higher up the table as well. Uh, they, you don't become a bad team overnight. You don't become a bad manager overnight. Um, it's just early days in the season, and they they just haven't quite found their found their rhythm. In the battle of the two sides with the most porous defenses in the National League on Saturday. The last result anybody expected was a nil-nil, but I tell you what, with 64 minutes gone at Mill Farm on Saturday, it was incredibly nil-nil between Farm and Aldershot. But then goals from Ryan Glover and Tyler Frost saw Aldershot's uh, first away points of the season. And afterwards, I caught up briefly with the scorer of the second goal, Tyler Frost. First three points on the road for Shots, first ever points here at Mill Farm and a clean sheet to boot. But uh, for you personally, let's just cut straight mm. to the whatever it was, 80-somethingth minute. Um, one nil up, got a precious and hard-earned lead. And just tell us what went through your, your head as you picked the ball up on the edge of the area. Yeah, no, no, it won't catch a sweeter strike than that probably all season. But it came at a really good time. We got the goal and they kind of gained a bit of... They gained a spell. You know what happens when you score a goal. Sometimes then you sit back. That goal probably come at the perfect time for us as well because we was under a bit of pressure. But no, nah, you, you, you know, I picked the ball up on the halfway line, saw the space. Drive, that's what I'm good at, driving into the space and let one fly and finally hit the top corner. You must be so pleased for all your teammates to finally get that first clean sheet because it means a lot to footballers, goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders, all of you really. Well, yeah, I'm playing in that deeper role at the minute. I would have swapped the goal for a clean sheet before the game. So the clean sheet meant just as much to me today as anyone else on the pitch. But as a team, especially this week, our mindset's been let's stop goals going in the net. We know we've got a great attack going forward. We will score goals. If we can stop them going in our own net, the only way we're going to go is forward. So that's been the main mindset this week. And I think you could see today we, we got a lot more first contact in our box and those sort of things win your games. Were you surprised that uh, Fylde went without uh, Horton and Omateo in their lineup, or you were just focused on yourselves? <laughs> um, we was told before that they made six changes, I believe. And I don't know, you know, sometimes you think that could unsettle them. We, uh, we took it, I looked at it as a positive and went, you know, they're going to be unsettled. They might have a bit of unbal uh, unbalance. They're not played together, but... You know, it wasn't on your main thing on your mind. The main thing on your mind before the game is what are we going to do? And the gaffer's reiterated that he's been happy with how we've performed. There's just in our own box, has been what's let us down. And if we can sort that out, 
it, it'll, we'll, we'll play how we play, like we show every week, to be honest. We, we don't change the way we play for anyone. Obviously, Kwame being on the pitch today, I thought he was excellent, gave us that, that outlet. Focal and, point, yeah. You know, players like me, I, I like playing off people who can hold the ball up. And then in the first half, I made a few good runs off the strikers who tapped me and drive forward. But no, that, that game there, I think, was a perfect away of performance and take a lot of confidence from that going forward. Uh, that was Tyler Frost and a good day for Tommy Widrington's men. Uh, one they'll feel they've been uh, pushing towards. Um, I'm a little bit concerned for file, Jeff. I don't know if you've watched them, but something doesn't feel right. I, I think they made a lot of changes on Saturday because they've been conceding just too many goals. Um, but they left Horton out the side. They left Domateo out the side and... You know, if I was anybody in the Aldershot camp, I'd have been delighted about that. And it wasn't really until those two players came on late on that Fylde really looked like they had a goal in themselves. Yeah, they haven't quite found their their feet. And um, you do get it every 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 now and again. You get a team that comes up, and for whatever reason, they 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 make that gap between the sixth and the fifth tiers look look quite quite big. Uh, I haven't watched Fylde myself. Um, this year so far, I think we maybe nostalgically look at you know um, how they were a few seasons ago, where under Challenger they were sort of coming close, and for whatever reason you see the name and you expect them to to emulate those kind of performances or that kind of output again, and yeah, it just hasn't happened. So at the minute, it, it might be a good time to play filed, um, you know, just in case at some point they they do get their act together. Um, but no, it hasn't been a good start for them. And just finally, in the National League, Wealdstone bounced back after a couple of defeats recently uh, with a 2-1 win against uh, impressive Ebbsfleet so far this season. Anyway, a brace for Tavern Campbell. I think that takes him to five for the season. So he's started to hit the goal-scoring form that he had at Woking a few seasons back. Jeff, before we let you uh, go, uh, where are you off to next on your, on your travels with TNT Sports? What's your next uh, National League game? Do you know I haven't actually looked. I haven't looked at where I am. How bad's that? I know that I've been, I'm going to be watching Villa uh, on their Europa Conference League um, journey out to Poland um, against um, Legia. Um, so I'm looking forward to to going and watching that. Um, I'm a season ticket holder at Tottenham, um, and I'm looking forward to. I think I might have the opportunity to go and watch them play Sheffield United next week. Um, so I'm looking forward to supporting them and Big Ange. Uh, but I don't know where my next National League assignment is. Uh, that's OK. No worries. We'll look forward to seeing you pop up somewhere and interviewing not just the, the managers and the players, but the fans now too as well. That's a nice little twist that's come in this season. I think it's brilliant. Um, the new directives coming from CNC. We want to be, be like it was pre-pandemic. We want to give supporters the access. Um, we also want to make it about the fans and the players. Uh, love hearing the players' insight. Um, you know, obviously, uh, games, the, the players are, are usually in sort of game mode. Therefore, you know, you, you get a certain version of them. Um, but I love just having those little interviews at half time with maybe, you know, a key player that's injured or suspended, just getting their insight. And it, it, again, it just helps us to tell a, tell a really vivid story of, of, of a wonderful game um, on a wonderful league, really. And I know there was the exception of the home game with Halifax last year, but it stands out like a sore thumb. I 
every time you come and watch Aldershot, we have an off day apart from that one game last year. So uh, feel free to stay away from us from a bit, Jeff. <laughs> well, I mean, that continued against Eastleigh, didn't it? Oh, my God, did that continue? Uh, oh, yeah. Did you have well, did. what I want to ask is did you have a keeper on the bench yesterday? We did, but only because we only had sixteen fit players is a youngster who came along yeah. in uh, uh, Finley Western. But it's not a change of decision from Widrington. He's stick to his guns, he'll stick with the stats, and that is that sort of scenario happens once every 55, 60 games, and unfortunately for all the shot, it happened live yep. on TV. Jeff, we're running out of time. Thanks for joining us. Look after yourself. Thank you very much. See you soon. Excellent insight there, as ever, from Jeff Brazier. In the second half of today's NL Full-Time Podcast, we're going to look at the National League North and South, and we'll come to the North in a little while with Dickie, but uh, I'm delighted to say that with us again for the second time in a month, it's uh, Tom Lane. Hi, Rob. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me back on. Um... Yes, I feel like I'm a bit, making a bit of a habit of it. <laughs> you are. You are once more, and we're going to consider you back in the team. <laughs> Only kidding. Um, talk to us about uh, the managerial change in the South this week, Tom. It was all done and dusted very quickly with the outgoing and the incoming down on the South Coast. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? And um, it's been a bit of a strange year for haven't really, ever since sort of... Uh, Paul Doswell stepped back from first team managerial duties to take on a behind the scenes role. It's all just felt a bit uh, chaotic, I think is probably how I describe it. And uh, obviously, as you say, it was done and dusted very quickly this week, but the signs were there over the last three or four weeks, really. I mean, not just the on pitch um, difficulties they've had, but obviously Doswell departing the club altogether. And then I think two weeks ago, Ian Baird uh, left as assistant manager um, and then, yeah, just sort of uh, quite, I guess, whilst it's not unexpected that Havent would seek to bring in a new manager, I think uh, I don't think many people would have seen Steve King um, sort of appearing this quickly. Um, but I think he is, I mean, he's tried and tested at this level of football. He is an excellent National League South manager um, and you can certainly expect him to achieve results. Um, but also we all have seen time and again what the trade-off uh, for, for bringing Steve King is, is he is very focused on the first team. Um, I know one of the problems that they had at Dartford was that there wasn't much of a community approach with Steve. He was very, very much focused on the first team. Um, and also, uh, whilst budgetary rumours swirl around non-league all the time, um, they certainly do follow Steve King. Um, and there's always been a suggestion that he, he spends a lot of money to achieve the admittedly very good results that he gets. Yeah, interesting uh, challenge for him. Haven't and Waterlooville normally on the edge of everyone's lips as a, a shoe in for the top seven, but they've had a pretty rotten start to the season and uh, he wasn't able to get the job done on his home uh, debut with uh, against Truro City. Um, it was a 3-1 win, wasn't it, for Truro? Um, and if he wasn't certain before he went into the job, uh, come 10 past five or whatever time the game finished, uh, at Havant yesterday, he'll certainly know he's got a big job on at uh, Havant and Waterlooville, where, where his team are now rock bottom and already five points from a position of safety. Yeah, exactly. And and, and to be honest, there's, there's two reasons why he's not going to get the result in that first game. One is the reason that Havant are on the, on the playing field at the bottom is their defence is woeful. And that's something that's going to be really hard for any new manager to come in in a couple of days and turn around. Um, and the other reason is they're playing against a very good Truro City side. 
Um, you know, as you say, they have had a horrible start to the season. They've only got one win against the Oval and a draw against Chelmsford, both of which actually are pretty good results in isolation. Um, they're scoring plenty of goals, uh, and you would expect them to. Uh, Mo Farl got the consolation yesterday. That's his fifth of the season. But with an attacking lineup of Farl, James Roberts, Callum Keeley, Tom Blair, you would expect them to score a lot of goals, and they are. Where they're letting themselves down is defensively, and they've conceded three more than anyone else in the division has. And after nine games, to have conceded three more than someone else, you're like, that's that's quite a difference already. Um, they're conceding at 2.3 goals per game average. Uh, and that's not where you need to be if, as haven't want to, you want to be a playoff team. Um, on the other side of the of the pitch, though, uh, you've got to commend Churo. That's uh, another win for them. They haven't lost since they uh, they lost at home to Hampton on the 19th of August. And that one, again, you can really put down to injuries. Their keeper, keeper was injured the day before. They lost uh, James Mahardo in the warm-up. Tyler Harvey was out injured. Harvey's back now. They've picked up 11 points in their last 15. They're joint second top scorers in the league. Um, Ryan Law and Will Dean got two of their goals yesterday, but Andrew Neal uh, got the other one. That's his sixth of the season. Um, him and Tyler Harvey scored 50 goals between them last year. If they can keep those two fit, there's absolutely no reason that they can't maintain this sort of form. And the only team that have scored more than uh, Truro is our new leaders in the National League South, Tom. And you'll be pleased on this one because... I'm pretty sure that you consistently stay at the say at the start of every season that Bath City are going to do well this year. Well, right now, nine games in, they're top of the National League South and the only team in the North or South to have got 20 points already. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I tell you what, uh, Bath, they, they often recruit from sort of uh, football league academies, particularly Bristol City and Cheltenham Town. They do a lot of business from there. Um this season, there's quite a few teams, as you will have noticed, in National League South in that region. They've got a lot of competition for that calibre of player. They've got Western, Taunton, Yeovil, Torquay, Weymouth, all shopping in the same market. Um, and so they've cast a bit further afield. And I think their key signing so far this season is Jordan Thomas. He scored 14 goals for North Lee, who were relegated from Step 3 last season. He's come up and he's really hit the ground running. Um, between him... Um, Scott Wilson and Cody Cook, they've got 13 goals already in nine games. Um, and, and they are a good side. We played against them the other week. They beat us 3-1. They were very good. Um, and they're good all over the pitch, but going forward, they're excellent. Um, and also they've still got Alex Fletcher to come back to full fitness as well. Obviously, he's um he's back playing now, but you know, match fitness would take a while. Um, I think Welling do look poor. Um, and you've gone from, as you say, the top scorers in the league to the joint worst. Um, they scored seven and nine. I think I think they're going to be regretting. And obviously it was difficult because they had the change of manager, so you don't know necessarily what the new guy, Danny Law, would have wanted at the early stage of the preseason. But I think they're going to be regretting losing and not doing more to keep, you know, Adi Aziz, Stefan Payne and Taylor Maloney. That trio got them 35 goals last season. And that's a hell of a big, amount, hell of a big contribution to take out of a team that was fighting relegation anyway. Absolutely, it was. Just below Bath in the National League South table are, are Worthing. They uh, they had to come from behind to get a relatively late point, a one-all draw at home to Hemel. And just below them, um, despite all the, the grumblings we're still hearing week in, week out, at Torquay United. Um, one point off the top of the table. and Another late, late bit of drama at Plainmore. Another goal in Gary time, Tom. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, I have to say, when you have the resources and the, the scale of clubs that Torquay have at this level, it kind of feels unfair if you're also getting the 94th minute own goal winners. You don't deserve to have luck as well. That's just uh, that's too much for any one club to, to get. But I think they're hitting their stride now. Um, they are inexorably rising up the league as a Yeovil, who I know we'll talk about shortly. Um, you, you could argue that they are fully professional. They have a lot of strength in depth. There is a logical reason why they will grind out wins late on in the match. They're going to be fitter. They're going to have better options that they can bring off the bench than other teams. Um, you know, you're talking about Chelmsford, who again have recruited really well, but they aren't going to be able to attract the strength and depth that Torquay can. Um, I also uh, have a sneaky suspicion that Aaron Jarvis might be a little bit too good for this division, um, and and will prove to be something of a cheat code for Gary Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, terrific striker and uh, really being well backed up by Bradley Ash as well. Um, Avely, who we had Danny Scopes on uh, last weekend, they followed up that terrific victory against Torquay in the week with a win away at Maidstone. A quite stunning achievement for the part-time side uh, playing big full-time sides back-to-back. However, um, they were brought back down to earth by Scott Davis's uh, slough on Saturday. And that ironically completed a good turnaround in seven days for Scott Davies' men, Tom, because I read something after last weekend's result that he said, no team of mine will ever give up like that again. And then bang, bang. Um, they've obviously uh, got themselves into gear. Six points in two games for Slough. Absolutely. Um, and we're also, we're going from, just talked about uh, Aaron Jarvis, we're going from one excellent striker to another excellent striker because George Alexander, who has come in at Slough, is doing a, a an incredible job there. Seven goals in six games already. Um, I think, I mean, we know all about Scott Davies as a person, as a player. You know, he's a friend of the podcast and we always have to say that. But as a manager, what I've been really impressed with him since he came in at Slough is his ability to tinker when he needs to. Um, he doesn't let rot set in. He tends to adjust his squad quite quickly if he feels that things aren't right. And he's done that again this season. Um, he has brought in two strikers in the last couple of months. He's brought in George Alexander, who I would say has scored seven and six. Why more clubs went in for him on loan from Bromley, I will never know. He was excellent last season when he came in, uh, both at Slough and Welling. But he's also brought in Dom Hutchinson on loan from um, Wilson, who got the second goal for them yesterday. And he's also signed Tamir Weaker from Maidenhead who's a really good signing at this level of football. Um, and he also brings in players who he knows. I think they had a week on loan last season as well. Um, I have to say, Avely, you know, they've made an excellent start to the season. Um, I think maybe some results, like you will get results like this because they are very, very slim in terms of player depth. Um, and they will be disproportionately affected by things like Jalen Jones going off to international duty with Guyana. He's been a massive part of that 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 rearguard unit for them. Um, so him going away is gonna gonna really impact them. Um, but still, you know, six wins and three losses for a team who is playing step four football this time two years ago is a, a, an amazing start to the season. Um, and I have to say, they were they were brilliant. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Right, let's look at the fortunes of uh, a couple of teams now. We're perhaps at the opposite end of the tables to where we thought they might be. Um, one of those Southwest teams, Taunton Town, terrific win on Saturday, and they now find themselves in the top five and uh, flip the table to the other end. And we see, to our surprise, really, um, Dowse's Dartford 
um, just um, a couple of places and and goal difference um, out of the relegation zone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we'll talk. Uh, we'll discuss Taunton first. I mean, fifteen points from twenty-one for them is a seriously good start of season return. Um, they, their last seven games have been excellent. Um, a Dylan Morgan double and Nick McCooty got the goals for them yesterday away at Tunbridge. They haven't really started this season, I would say, Tunbridge. Uh, I think there was a period of time last season where Taunton looked as though they might might, might not be safe, um, but that was because they they had. They had about eight games in hand on the teams around them at one point. They ended up quite comfortable on something like 55 points. I think they finished 14th, 15th. Um, they safely acclimatised the league and they look like they're ready to push on this season. Um, yeah, very, very strong start for, for, for Taunton. Um, Dartford, the problem with a functional side is if you don't keep a clean sheet, it's going to be very hard for you to win. Um Dartford do not set up to try and score teams off the pitch. They set up to try and prevent them from scoring. Um, and a you know a goals for and against tally of nine scored and ten conceded is quite indicative of that. Um, I think a problem in their squad is a lack of pace. Um, Brandon Barzi is away on international duty with Montserrat this week, and so there is no there is nobody in that squad who is going to bring them pace in the final third. Uh, and that's going to make it very hard to break down St Albans, who are an excellently drilled football team. Um, I think one thing of note with St Albans, haven't got any goals from Sean Jeffers this season, but they're still doing OK. Um, Mitchell Weiss has really stepped up and it was him who got the goal again yesterday. Um, and also, uh, again, like a comment for Giorgio Rasulo as a signing, um, will be one of, if not the best midfielder in the division this season, I think. He was very good for Banbury. For the last two years, and and St Albans done work really well to bring him in. Couple more games we want to focus on in the south. Let's touch on uh, your game, the game you were at. I think you were at uh, Tom on Saturday. Western Supermare one, Hampton and Richmond Borough one. I know uh, there's a, a few talking points from that game, which uh, uh, we we'd like you to pick up on. Um, and then after that, we'll have a look at perhaps the most thrilling game of the day. A five goal thriller between Yeovil and Eastbourne, but talk us talk to us about Western Supermare. How are they looking, and uh, and how did your uh, Hampton and Richmond team fare there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so Western, uh, Kennedy, they they for the first half they looked like a side that hadn't won in five. Um, they looked low on confidence. Um, there was a lot of sort of uh, misplaced passes, etc. Um, but also Hampton looked low on confidence. Hampton have had a, a really difficult run of late. Um. But I would say the difference between the teams in the first half was Mason Bloomfield. He's uh, taken a little while to get up to up to pace with Hampton. He had an ankle injury at the start of the season, which sort of uh, affected how he embedded with the new teammates on the pitch, off the pitch, obviously, like a very different matter. But um, he was unplayable in the first 45 minutes yesterday. I'd say he won over 80% of his headers. He was holding the ball up well. He was turning on the ball. He was, he was very, very effective for performance. And it's him who got the opener on 40 minutes. Um, Hampton, again, it, same problems they've had a number of times this, this season and last season really is that they they didn't turn possession into ch- good goal-scoring opportunities. I can't think of many saves the keeper had to make despite the fact that they were very dominant. Um, and then Marlon Jackson got an equaliser on uh, 62, 68 minutes, something like that. Um, but there was a talking point in that goal in that Sam Deadfield 
was tackled in the middle of the park. It was a totally fair fair tackle, but he caught a flailing arm in the face uh, and he was down holding his head at the point that the ball was passed to Jackson and he went through to score. Um, it's one of those ones where the referee probably should have called it for a head injury and stopped play and had also stopped play for two head injuries in the past 10 minutes. So the consistency was lacking there. And it, on a weekend where you've seen Luke Summerfield be sent off for getting having the... T- the temerity to be hit in the face by the referee and uh, goals not given that clearly should have been given. It, it's again, like it, it feels like, and we say this, everyone would and should say this, it's not fair to blame referees for results. And that's not the case here, but it feels like the standard is not where it needs to be this season. Um, that's what we saw an offside given against Jake Gray yesterday when he crossed the ball, the defender intercepted it straight back to him and was given offside. Um, it was, you know, genuinely absurd in any understanding of the laws of the game. And whilst everybody is human and mistakes get made, you do feel like there's a lack of consequence at times. You know, if a player made the amount of mistakes that the officials made, the manager would not start them next week because the manager would want to make sure that something was done to prevent those mistakes happening again the next week. Um, and it, it does feel like, a, yeah, as I say, on a, on a weekend where there's been a few refereeing decision uh, talking points at the league above there's they've been they've been there at step two as well um and the last thing i'll say just on this game is Hampton mm. back in the relegation zone after this game um which is not where they want to or expect to be but a look at the form table shows i mean eight away games and one home game you're gonna you're not gonna be where you want to be the away the away form puts them 14th in the league compared to other teams. And I think once the home games start to even out, you will see Hampton rising up the table. I hope so, at least. And let's finish where we should have probably been ages ago on the thrill- most thrilling game and high-scoring game of the day in the National League South. Bit of a topsy-turvy battle between uh, Yeovil Town and Eastbourne Borough. Indeed, yeah. And Yeovil are making a bit of a habit of this being in the uh, the exciting games. They had the... Uh... 3-2 against Western uh, last week. They had the 4-3 against Haven a couple of weeks ago. Um, so they're, they're nothing if not entertaining at this level. Um, and uh, not only on the pitch, but certainly on Twitter as well, with Martin Hellier's Twitter account being uh, definitely worth a follow if you don't already. Um, I think my main takeaway from this game is Frank. I think Frank Newble's getting up to speed of the league. Um, those new signings are starting to gel and click. Um, they're getting the most out of Jordan Young. Uh, Nubel got his third and fourth um, and Josh Hours, I think, got the, the other for, for Yeovil. Um, and for Eastbourne, Jack Paxman got a brace. It's really nice to see Jack Paxman influencing games again. Uh, he is, he's just such a tidy footballer. Um, and it was a real shame that he didn't get a huge amount of match time at Eversfield last season. Um, but again, not, you know, they were excellent. So I don't think they'll be uh, losing too much sleep over it. Um I do think Mark Cooper will be unhappy with how many Yeovil concede, though. Um, they've conceded 12, which is more than anyone else in the top half by Chippenham. Um, and again, for a squad, this, the depth of Yeovil and with the stature they have, I think that they would want to be looking a bit more secure at the back because you can't back yourself to beat to, to score three or four goals every week. Um, and then for, for Eastbourne, really frustrating loss. Um Obviously, got a good win against Hampton on the opening day, then a horror run of one point from a possible 15. They would have felt they put that behind them with two good wins over the bank holiday. So to have a trip to Yeovil immediately off the back of that, that would be the last thing they would have wanted to see coming over the horizon, really. Um, so, yeah, they'll, they'll be looking to get back on the, back on the horse as soon as they can um, on Saturday. 
Good stuff. And just wrapping up the National League South, a very good away win for Weymouth. 3-1 at uh, Dover with a couple of goals from Toure. Maidstone bounced back from that midweek defeat to Avely with a 2-0 win away at Chippenham. Uh, Wanjiao Smith on target in that game. And uh, there was another goal and another another goal for Alfie Payne and another draw for Farnborough. They just can't get that away win so far, Tom, can they? But uh, Alfie Pavey started very well um, in his new club. He has indeed, yeah. He was, um, he's a bit of like a, uh, if you remember Romario, didn't really do anything and then pops up with a goal or two every game. Um, he sort of uh, is the, the National League South equivalent of that. When, when we played against uh, them a few weeks ago, he didn't really do much at all, but scored two crucial goals. Um, and I think he's he's found a side that played to his strengths. Um, Farnborough, with like the Ollie Robinson throw, um, Ollie Robinson can throw it further than most people can kick it. And if you've got someone like Alfie Pavey in the box, you're going to score a lot of goals that way. Brilliant stuff. Thanks a lot for joining us, Tom. No, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right, Len, last but not least, of course, the National League North. We had a managerial departure in the South affecting a team right at the bottom. And the same thing happened this week in the North. And uh, we have new leaders as well. Where should we start, Dickie? Should we look at the uh, the managerial departure? Yes, I think it's reasonable to to, to start there. And, and by starting there, we are starting at the bottom because it is by virtue of the fact that Darlington, a bottom of National League North, that they parted company with manager Alan Armstrong in midweek. They had a goalless draw um, with Boston on Tuesday evening at... Uh, Blackwell Meadows I get the impression that it wasn't that the continuation of Armstrong's tenure wasn't resting on Tuesday evening and that perhaps a decision had already been made by then but maybe it was you know a, a chance for him to have a goodbye in front of the fans I don't know but he departed on Wednesday um, and yeah it's fairly clear that Darlington haven't got anybody lined up just yet but just knew they couldn't continue in that vein, and uh, they are on the lookout for another manager. It's a difficult one. I, I get the impression that Alan Armstrong was very well liked by the fans because he understood uh, Darlington being a supporter-owned club, and 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 they appreciated that he appreciated them. But ultimately, he's judged on results, and they've just been pretty poor this season. And how did they get on on Saturday? They had a 1-0 defeat at Bishop Stortford on Saturday. So, obviously, they're under caretaker charge at the moment. I think a couple of the senior players um, have taken on the role just for now while they search for uh, a successor. I don't, I haven't really seen many suggestions from of their fans as to who they would want as a successor. Um, the only person I did see mentioned, and it was, men- it was Martin Gray, who was Darlington manager a number of years ago when they came up through the divisions. I don't know. I think that just feels a little bit like Darlington fans wanting to hark back to an era when things were better and, and thinking that maybe bringing him back would herald the same kind of era. But it's asking a lot for the same sort of person to same to turn the same trick twice, I think. Um, yeah, they were defeated yesterday, uh, 1-0 uh, at uh, Bishop Stortford. Darren Foxley with the goal in the first half for Bishop Stortford, who... Um, you know, we'd spoken again about the difficulty they've got with being the most southerly team in the north or whatever. But 
yesterday was a perfect example of the kind of fixture where Bishop Stortford really did na- need to take advantage of the fact that Darlington have had a pretty dreadful week and they did so 1-0 win. Uh, they climb up to 16th in the table. Say so Darlington still bottom on just six points from nine games. Yeah, Bishop Stortford 10 points from their nine so far. So they've given themselves a platform for the season. Um, we can't go any further in the National League North without talking about the third in the trilogy of bizarre referee and decisions in the National League on Saturday. Um, I'll give you Scunthorpe, uh, sat potentially top of the league at home to Buxton, who are a little bit lower down, but expected to do good things this season. The visitors leading 2-1, a big old downpour in the last half an hour or so, but 10 minutes goes up, Dickie. Five of them are played and then the referee blows his whistle. Everybody thinks, including both clubs' media teams, that the game is over and Buxton have won 2-1. Only for the referee over his shoulder as he's running down the tunnel to say, I abandoned the game. Yeah, it, frankly, it's a, a, a huge puzzle. And what it's done is it, it's handed a big dilemma now to the National League in terms of what do they do about you know, does this result stand? Uh, James Bank James Bancroft was the referee. I'm not saying his name to to prompt a pile on or anything here, um, but obviously it, he was faced with a very difficult situation. Um, in the time that was added on, as you say, Scunthorpe were two one down. This was probably one of the games of the day. Would have been one of the games of the day without all of this happening anyway. And it was on course to be probably the result of the day for Buxton. Winning away at Scunthorpe as well. They'd had the lead through Alex McBurney. Connor Brown sent off in the last couple of, well, in injury time at the end of the first half. Richie Bennett had equalised to Scunthorpe. And then Max Hunt had scored almost straight away again for Buxton to put them ahead. There was a penalty for Scunthorpe, which Danny Elliott took. Um, apparently, he could barely see the ball. The referee clearly didn't see that Buxton keeper Max Durnley looked a long way off his line when he saved it anyway. Um, Scunthorpe manager Jimmy Dean thought the game should have been called off earlier than it was. Um, so he kind of agreeing with the decision, but feeling it should have come earlier because he said with the penalty with Elliott, he just couldn't see the ball. Uh, he went onto the field spoke to the referee and he said it was only when they'd actually come off and as you say they were in the tunnel that the referee said that no I haven't blown for full time because I think he'd gone on to inquire as to where the rest of the added time had gone he said I've abandoned the game so heaven only knows what happens from here um it's you know, completely bonkers it's completely and utterly bonkers yes we could all say he might have you know perhaps stop short of making a brave decision to call the game off after 70 minutes or something, you know, um, but people would have understood that decision and they might have accepted it. What I don't understand is if he's gone on to, to, to say 10 added minutes, then played five of them, blown his whistle and abandoned it. Why didn't he talk to the managers, talk to the captains, explain what was going on, first of all, and then why on earth didn't they take a common sense decision here? Let's just wait 10 or 15 minutes and see if this abates and we can get the game finished. That would have been the right decision to make, but he didn't make it. And one can only, one is left scratching one's head saying, did the guy have a, you know, a, an important date or meeting he had to get off to? And he just couldn't wait. Is it, was he, was he going to use my old excuse? I've got to be on that 5.35 train <laughs> home or what? No, I mean, that, that, by all accounts, half an hour after this was called off, um, a lot of the water had 
drained away and the people suggesting it was playable at that point if it as you said that they'd taken the decision to just look we're going to come off we're going to give it a certain amount of time and they're going to see if we can play this last few minutes at the end it's not ideal because obviously players have got to get warmed back up again and and with the the game situation being as it is but even that's got to be more palatable than what we're facing now which is you know in in a sense he's kind of passed the book to the national league now to say well you decide um and the national league and what is the to... realistically would you say should we say there's three possible scenarios number 1 the result stands number 2 the game is replayed in its entirety or number 3 which seems farcical but probably the most correct thing to do the two teams need to meet again with the same players on the pitch and play five more minutes five, i mean five minutes it's yeah farcical, the... isn't it? That people are talking about a precedent having been set a couple of seasons ago when um, there was a game between Darlington and Boston. Ironically, he played one other in midweek last week. Um, Boston were already winning 1 0 away from home. Uh, there was a head injury to Nicky Hunt, the former Bolton Wanderers player who was at Darlington at the time. He went down injured. Play continued. Boston scored their second goal. I think this was in something like the 87th or 88th minute. Hunt's injury was sufficiently bad that he had to have an ambulance to take him from the pitch, but it took an hour to get an ambulance to him. So the referee abandoned the game because it was on a midweek night. Um, You know, you can't continue playing on into the night or, or indefinitely. So he had to call a halter at some point. But that game was eventually replayed, even though there were only a couple of minutes left. So the precedent is there that it will be replayed in its entirety. Um, it could be massive. It could be a massive let-off for Scunthorpe and an opportunity to play it again. Um, yeah. We'll and, have to wait you know, and see. But I'm sure Buxton are, you know, adamant that the results should stand, having got themselves into that position, with 10 men as well, you know, that you can see why they would want it to stand. Um but yeah, I, I don't envy the administrators at the National League on this one, because you're not going to please... One of those two sides is going to be pretty pissed off about this decision. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a team that took full advantage on Saturday, and they are the new leaders of the National League North. And a little bit like Avely in the South, it's a promoted side, isn't it? Tamworth, a comfortable 3 0 home victory for them over Peterborough Sports. Just a bit of detail from that one, Dickie. Yeah, it's a, a really good result, this for Tamworth. They do have. Um, an artificial pitch at their lamb ground. Um, they took full advantage um, of being well aware of their surroundings yesterday. They were 2-0 up within five minutes, two goals from Ty Deacon right at the start of the game. Then their leading scorer from last season, Dan Craney, added a third, 12 minutes from time. Sounded like a pretty routine victory for Tamworth, that one, a clean sheet, which is um, another nice bonus for them. It obviously came against Peterborough Sports, the side you uh, saw earlier in the week as well. Yeah, I did, and Peterborough Sports played... Something like um, 88 minutes with 10 men on Tuesday. That won't have helped their cause going up to Tamworth on Saturday. They had a a second player sent off towards the end of that game as well. But incredibly, the nine men that finished for Peterborough Sports on on Tuesday evening got themselves a draw, a one-all draw against Curzon Ashton. For me personally, it was a ground I'd wanted to go back to for a long time. It had been 35 years since I'd actually uh, been, when they were Peter, uh, 
they were brotherhood sports um so i took the opportunity to get there nice and early before the game i caught up with uh, sports secretary jonathan robinson well i'm here at peterborough sports with robbo jonathan robinson secretary of peterborough sports and we're into that difficult second season at national league north level i mean let's just flip back a little bit i know there's been all sorts going on and changes of ownership chairman etc but um 14th in your first season in National League North is uh, a reasonable achievement, isn't it? Oh, it's massive. Yeah, massive. And obviously, with halfway through the season with Jimmy, and obviously the ownership being and, and you know under scrutiny, and Jimmy wasn't sure what was going on, so he obviously had a good offer from Scunthorpe, which we understood. He's offered a good deal to go there and try and keep him up. Um, but yeah, we'd have took 14th. How we had a board meeting and it was to stay up. That simple. You know, we know we're a big fish in a, a little fish in a big pond. Um, and as you can see, the ground's changed dramatically from where we were under the new ownership of Tim. So he's a third owner now that since I've been here, so it's 10 years. So um, yes, from, from where we, you know, from where we were to where we are now is massive. I'll let you into a little secret. We haven't discussed this off air, but I came here last 35 years ago. I played for Oldcombe against right. Brotherhoods uh, at the time, um, and I've been trying to place it. And talking to you, talking to Gemma. I can see a lot's changed, a lot's moved. Yeah. The pitch is in a different place, isn't yeah, it? The so clubhouse the pitch, is in a different place. probably over here when you That's play, it. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. had a five side in the corner, tennis yeah. court on the side, yeah. bowl. Do green. you go back that far or not? No, I go back 10 years. Ten Our life yeah. president, um, Colin Day, has been here, I want to say, probably 70 years. <laughs> but it is incredible to me because when I played here in 1988, that was top end of Peterborough. Division One, yep. um, and and Oakenbury were pushing for that title, but Brotherhoods won a key game here, two one. Um, your keeper denied me that day; we would have taken the lead, <laughs> but uh, we come and we come back six months later and won four two here. And I got to mention it because I scored a hat trick. But, um, but no, I mean since then you, you've gone obviously Peterborough Prem done well in that for a few years, and yeah. and then the club's really started to Absolutely. grow and build, doesn't it? After yeah. that. Absolutely. I mean, when we were in the Peterborough Prem, we didn't actually, they didn't play here for a while. So it was actually, and we didn't, I think we finished fourth in the league that year and no one wanted promotion. So Tommy, our current Tommy Cooper, Stephen Cooper, he was our owner at the time, took it and then took us into UCL1. And then it's obviously flourished from there. He backed, Jimmy came in not long after that. I came in and Jimmy came in not long after me. It's just flourished from there, you know what I mean? And obviously, I think the season that didn't finish, we were top of the league. But we went. I don't think we would have won it. I think Royce would have won it that year. Um, but yeah, so it's unbelievable, really. And this is where we are. How has um, Gashi and, and, and Luke Steele settled into the, the the management responsibilities? It, it might have come a little bit sooner than perhaps they were wanting or looking for. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Gashi obviously took it over at first when Jimmy first went. They asked him. He was, he was kind of involved in the back background anyway when Jimmy was here, just getting involved in the training, the coaching, and things like that. And then he had the bright idea of bringing Steele in. He was keen. Steely had also been offered. I think he might have been offered Barnsley in the 21s at the time. Because obviously, he was he was there for a long time. Um, but he's done well, Steely. And obviously, this year Tim's come in and slashed the budget a little bit and said, "Look, you know, I've spent a lot of money on the ground, so I need to slash it to just have a, we have a couple of years off, and we've got a couple of loanees, you know, Hayden from Lincoln, you know, Posh, you know, obviously Ashton Fox and McGlinchey, and they've done well for us, you know, because they're young lads and it's a big lead to." It's a big lead to come in at 18, 19 year olds, especially as a centre half, as people that watch this league will find out. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's a massive, and they've done all right for us. You know, we picked up a couple of injuries in the first couple of games, hasn't helped, and we haven't got the budget mm. to 
Yeah, to compete. And, uh, you know, often, I, mean, I, I live in Cambridgeshire myself, and often people go Peterborough North and they question it, but you're not the most uh, southerly <laughs> oh, yeah. team this year <laughs> at all, it. are you? Our worst trips tend to be sideways. Hereford's terrible. It's difficult getting it's across the, last, the country. Yeah, it's isn't the last it? 35 miles is terrible. Um, but we tend to do better on them days, I don't know why. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you're loving life put... in this league, and, and I guess really. Given the money that's been spent on the ground, given the, the decreased budget, the, the, the um, number one uh, mission again is to stay, to stay in. in the league, yeah? Of course it is, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Tim wants more than that, the owner, he wants more than that, and Gashin still will want more than that. As a manager, you'd never set yourself that target. But the reality is, that's where we are, and we're aware of that, and it's just being realistic. And I think if we stayed up, everyone would be happy. But yeah, naturally, no one wants to just do that, do they? We want to set the apple cart somewhere, don't we? That was... Robbo, Jonathan Robinson, who I caught up with before the game. And after it had finished, I uh, caught up with the uh, Peterborough Sports joint player manager, Michael Gash. I'm I'm speaking with a, uh, I'm sure, pretty exhausted Michael Gash, who I've always seen as a centre forward, but you were slotting in the back there due to a few injuries tonight. How was your evening, mate? Uh, Busy. Um, It was, you know, from the start, obviously, I think in the first minute or two, Obviously, going down to 10 men didn't help us. And we played three centre-backs at the back. Um, and one of them got sent off in, in the second minute. So, from then, we've had to go for a, to a 4-4-1. Um, and we've just, you know, we've just had to deal with it. We know they play football. We knew that whether we've got 10 or 11 men. Um, so, we knew, especially with 10 men, they're going to put the pressure on us. We just had to be solid. We had to communicate. We had to trust each other. And, you know, we had to make sure we, we worked hard. And... I couldn't ask any more of the lads. They did it till the 98th minute, non-stop. And, you know, unfortunately we lost another man, but, um, you know, we dealt with it and got the point in the end. Yeah, I mean, you dared to take the lead as well, didn't you? Unfortunately, it didn't last for very long. It was uh, one of those games where goals come along like buses, isn't it? But um, tremendous show of character. And, 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 you know, they're a respected side at this league, aren't they, Curzon Ashton? But uh, I just heard their manager saying it's always a tough game down here and, and you can be proud of your lads for that tonight. Yeah, definitely. We just said in there, um, you know, myself and Luke, how proud we are of them. We knew it was going to be a tough game anyway, but like I said, going down to 10 men, um, I feel like we, we dealt with it. Yes, they had some opportunities, but we said at half-time, look, we've got good players in here. We've got players that can cause problems. If we're patient, if we just have that little bit of composure on the ball we can still break away we can still make chances we can still get set pieces in their half you know and we've done that Dan Lawler and Ben have you know got the ball between them then chased it down um, when it looked dead and you know Dan Lawler slotted it away and the, the running he did tonight just like everybody else but he was right in front of me and the running he did tonight was tremendous and great to see Gashi still going Dickie um my goodness me um you know, he's he's scored a number of goals over the years, but he's having to adapt his game in his latter years like like many of us did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw him last season at Peterborough, um, you know, still a terrific finisher. Um, ironically, I've been in a conversation this evening with Nathan Fox, who's now a Telford player, who was at sports with him last season and obviously played with him at Kings Lynn as well. And, you know, a, a, a crosser of the ball, of uh, the quality that Fox is, you know, it was absolute meat and drink for, for Michael Gash, just popping up on the far post so many times um, with headers to convert his kind of crosses. Um, it, 
touching on that game you saw on Tuesday night as well, and there was a slight uh, bit of amusement at the end of it because Flash Schools actually had the second red card in that game given to Nathan Fox, who um, hasn't been a Peter replaced since the summer. So I'm not quite sure what was going on there, but uh, yeah, you, I'm glad you enjoyed your evening out there. I had a chance to uh, uh, see where some former glories were achieved. Absolutely true, yeah. Um, thank you very much to everybody at Peterborough Sports for, for making me and my good friend Tony welcome on the evening. Um, elsewhere, at the top end of the National League North, uh, Dickie, there was, uh, or towards the top end anyway, just outside the playoffs, but there was a, a notable uh, big win for Alfreton. Yes, there was. Um, probably a little bit unexpected in the size of the victory as well, because Boston United have been recording a few uh, decent results of late, but this was uh, a bit of a hammering for, for them yesterday. 4-0, it finished to Billy Heath's team. Two goals in either half. Uh, Dwayne Wiley got them on uh, uh, off and running. He's a, a big, powerful centre-half. I expect that was a set-piece goal. Um, knowing Billy Heath's teams, they do like to make the most of those. Liam Waldock scored the second goal in the 22nd minute and then there were goals in the second half for a, a player I know from, uh, he's he's played for Altrincham in the past, he's had loan spells at Telford, Anna Alverton, Lewis Salmon in the 68th and then in the second minute of injury time. Um, so putting a bit of gloss on the scoreline probably with that um, at that 4-0 um, Boston retreating from that one, obviously feeling a bit sore I would think. Absolutely. South Shields are in third place. They uh, had a comfortable 2-0 win at home to Russell Olympic. Um, just behind them, Spennymore um, as well. And they also had, I think, a 2-0 win, if I remember right. Yeah, at home to Hereford. And uh, Brackley, though, in fifth place, they uh, they were on the wrong end of the result on Saturday, weren't they? Yes, they were. Yeah, uh, Brackley went down 2-1. Uh, at Scarborough on Saturday, um, having had a 2-2 draw with Kings Lynn in midweek. Um, it was, uh, there were goals in that game from Curtis DeRose for Scarborough and then uh, Lewis Maloney, he's regularly on target for the Sea Dogs. Danny Newton, he's been um, finding the target with some regularity. I think he might be the joint leading scorer in the National League North. He got a penalty late on in that game, the 90th minute, but that was just merely a consolation for Brackley for their trip back down the A1. Yeah, terrific win for Banbury United against uh, one of the other promoted sides, Warrington Town. That was uh, 3-0 with a couple of goals for Charles. Uh, Chester beat Blythe Spartans 2-1. Both of those sides a little bit unpredictable this season, but uh, all the goals coming, um, well, a flurry of goals towards the end. Blythe Spartans got level in the 84th minute, but a White House winner sealed the deal for Chester and that pulls them up to a a much more respectable 14th place in the uh, table, just four points now off the playoffs. Chorley got a job, uh, all three points at Gerson Ashton uh, with a 45th minute Johnson goal. Um, and Farsley Celtic um, got the job done at Gloucester with a 29th minute own goal. But the other game I really wanted to pick up on with you, Dickie, was the revival continuing at Southport. Yes, uh, terrific. it's been a, a terrific week for Southport. The early weeks of the season have been a real trial for them. Um, but with since Jim Bentley's come in uh, as the manager at Hague Avenue, um, they, their form has just been a complete turnaround. Um, I presume just the, a, a different voice in the dressing room. Um, I know I had a brief conversation with Harry Flowers last week who moved to Southport in the summer. 
absolutely loves Jim Bentley, says, I'm sure he will get the best out of me as a player. It looks like he's getting the best out of all of the players at Southport at the moment. They strolled into a 4-0 lead uh, by half-time away at Kings Lynn yesterday with a Marcus Carver hat-trick. He's on loan from Scunthorpe United for the whole season. There was also a goal in there for Jack Doyle. Jordan Ponticelli did, did get a goal back for Kings Lynn in the 47th minute, um, but yeah, they they laboured to to make any further indentation in that Southport lead, and they even had Emmanuel OK sent off in the 85th minute. So uh, a, a terrific win for Southport. They'd had a really good win in midweek as well. They beat Scarborough 3-1. They got a 1-0 win at Hereford this week. So all of a sudden, three wins in September. Jim Bentley, in his first <laughs> week in the role, could be setting himself up to be National League North Manager of the Month if this continues. It certainly could, but it's great to see a bit of the good old-fashioned manager, new manager bounce. I mean, all too <laughs> often of late, it's not really been the case, but well done, Big Jim. Um, and Southport jump out of the relegation places and Kingsley drop into them, along with Peterborough Sports, Gloucester City and the aforementioned Darlington. All right, Dickie, what have we got ahead of us? Any midweek fixtures in the north this coming week? And... Uh, and what about next weekend? I don't think there's anything coming up in midweek this week. Uh, next weekend, it's the second qualifying round of the FA Cup. So all of the National League North and South sides will be playing uh, their first games in the FA Cup for the season. There's some interesting ones in there, as you'd expect. I'm sure there'll be some teams from the North and South who will come a cropper to teams from a division or two below them, as always happens. Um, but, you know, could be the start of a run to the first round, second round, you know, games on television, that kind of stuff that we've seen with the likes of Chorley in the past couple of seasons or so. So, uh, yeah, the road to Wembley starts on Saturday. It certainly does. And, of course, it's been going since, uh, I think, August. Was it even the last couple of days of July? I'm not 100% sure. But uh, I was just chatting to a non-league groundhopper on the train up to Fylde at the weekend. And he was telling me that the uh, the last couple of rounds of the FA Cup have already been on the red button on the BBC and how he thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed them. Uh, and, of course, we do love the FA Cup, certainly until the bigger clubs get involved and then it kind of loses its way a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it'll soon be time to wheel Phil Annette's back out on the uh, NL Full-Time Podcast. But at the end of uh, what feels a colossus podcast this week, many, many thanks to all those we've heard from and to our guests uh, on the day, Jeff Brazier, Tom Lang, and the ever reliable Dickie Wharton. Thank you, Dickie. You're very welcome, Rob. Good to see you. Have a good footballing week, everybody. That's it from us. Play the theme tune, Luke. <laughs>